I can't tell you like being on the Android rocket ship from 2010 to 2013 was like completely bonkers. Frankly, the Google Play team was like amazingly poorly managed in many fronts. They had this huge, crazy stretch goal of getting $5 billion in revenue through the thing, which they hit like a year and a half early. And you're like, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. When you're on like a rocket ship like that, it just doesn't matter. Hello everyone and welcome to our brand new Humans of Product-Led Growth podcast series where we shine a spotlight on the OGs of the product-led world. Today we have with us Mark Tanner, the co-founder of Quiller. Prior to starting up, Mark spent a bunch of time across startups and large companies alike, including a stint at the now-legendary Android team at Google. Uh, Mark also has one of the best-kept beards that we have ever seen. But before I butcher Mark's intro any further, let me hand over the floor to Mark to introduce himself. Hello, everybody. It's like really wonderful to be here. Um, so look, I, I'll be sort of quick here. The, the core idea behind Quilla really is just that, that files suck in the age of the web. We, we live in this wonderful modern world where, where data can move around and do interesting things. And, and we have these legacy, these legacy tools of Word, PowerPoint, PDF, you know, praise be to the Microsoft monopoly. But I think it's time for us to sort of move on from, uh, from the office suite. And so, so all the core idea behind Quilla is that that all of your customer facing um, documents, especially for sales teams, marketing teams, customer success teams are much, much better if you can just fully embrace the web. So at its core, Quiller is just a simple web page um, builder, um, which is one of those things that sounds easy to do, but it's actually <laughs> incredibly hard. And then, uh, and then from there, there's a whole bunch of things we do around, I suppose that there are all these big companies out there today um, that we sort of, in the sort of the, the file automation and sort of, you know, sales enablement space. And we try to have each of them sort of be a subset feature of Quilla. So from there's a digital asset management side, there's a content automation side, there's a two-way sync to your CRM side, there's document analytics. The document itself is like more like a web app. You can do interactive pricing and accept, sign, pay with that e-sign component, kind of like a DocuSign, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff that we're doing over there. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. Come come to Quilla.com, check us out. Go to Topline, check them out. But uh, we're, we're here to chat some PLG stuff today. So I'll throw it back, um, throw it back to you, Rahul. Yeah, I think uh, uh, some more context from uh, my creepy research about Mark, right? Uh, I think prior to Quilla, Mark worked at Google in New York for four years. Mark, please feel free to step in and correct me if I get any of this wrong. No, no. Yeah, so, so far, so good. Uh, Mark was Google New York for four years. We worked on digital media and uh, partnerships, also working on uh, eBooks at the time. Uh, at the time, Google News, Google Scholar, Google Books were being built uh, and Google Play was coming. And this was around 2010, 2013. It was a crazy amount of growth uh, for, the, uh, for Android, right? Android was going I mean, through. Android was like, I can't tell you, like being on the Android rocket ship from 2010 to 2013 was like, completely bonkers. Frankly, the Google Play team was like amazingly poorly managed in many fronts. And like, it just, it just didn't matter. Like they were like, it was like, you were doing all this issues. You're like, this is a terror, like what's going on here. And it's like every year it's like, like they were like, they had, a, they had this huge crazy stretch goal of getting $5 billion in revenue through the thing, which they hit like a year and a half early. And you're like, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. When you're on like a rocket ship like that, it just doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, that was very fun. Yeah, but I, I think uh, Mark, you had already been bit by the startup bug before that, where you worked uh, with uh, a startup that your uncle was involved in, where you led sales in GTM in Australia for the startup, which even that startup saw an amazing growth spurt in the first year. Yeah, right? no, I mean, that, that was awesome. I was very lucky. I sort of, I sort of 
at university, I sort of we sort of interned at McKinsey and very nearly went down the consultant path. And there was a lucky sort of random uncle having this job sort of available. And I never really thought about working in tech, if I'm totally honest. And um, but was very, very lucky to sort of get that opportunity. And I think once you've had that, I mean, look, working at Google, like, like early in your career, if you can have some time at a startup and some other time at like a truly excellent world-class tech company, I think they're both good experiences to have. Um, I mean, it's, that's all I know. So what, what, what do I know? But anyway, but I, I certainly thought it was good to sort of see both sides, but certainly four, four years at Google was enough. I was, I was ready to come back. As a McKinsey alum as well, it's surprising. So a lot of us are at McKinsey and we're like, hey, we're working on 1990s or early 2000s problems, but then a lot of us end up starting up. So I, I would say that a third of my batch uh, from McKinsey is actually founders now. So it's interesting how that happens where you work in consulting, but then you end up in, in technology and, and in startups. Yeah, I, I remember, yeah, I've, I've got a similar thing with a bunch of folks from my cohort as well. There's there's a whole bunch who are doing, some, some have gone, you know, the evil path towards VC. That's not true. We love VCs, but like some have gone, taken the other path, but um, there's there's lots of, I agree, there's lots in, in tech. And I think that sort of makes sense because there was a period of time where I think McKinsey was the absolute prestige path to go down to some degree, if you're a very ambitious young human being. Um and in a way, I think it is startups now. I think it is to sort of, if you can be involved in a super high growing startup, that is sort of, I think there's a lot of energy and excitement in that sort of part of the world. Couldn't agree more. Speaking of super high growth startups, we're in a, a weird time in the market. Uh, so me and sort of other people on the call are kind of, uh, in our first five or eight years of our career. So we haven't seen this uh, entire startup cycle play out. And uh, what we entered was a market which was the largest boom uh, or sort of hype cycle of all time. And 2022 is a lot more sober uh, than the world we're used to. Uh, as someone who started uh, his career in startups and then you went into the rocket ship that was Google and Android and eventually founded Quiller, you've essentially seen multiple cycles play out. Uh, how would you think about uh, sort of advising early stage founders or early stage teams um, as to how do you deal with these bull and bear cycles and also how sales and go-to-market strategies change uh, as you move across um, uh, these phases? Yeah, I mean, I think the... Um... I think, I suppose like my view on this a little bit is like, first of all, it's kind of the founder's job to like, frankly, shield the team from all of this bullshit. Cause this is just, a lot of this is just noise, right? Like I think whether you're getting, you know, a hundred X ARR multiple or a, you know, whatever, you know, eight X ARR multiple, like it's sort of the average engineer, like kind of, or, or, or salesperson or, or growth person, like that stuff just like comes and goes and changes with the time. And that's kind of irrelevant to like doing what we're here to do, which is to like build excellent products, like build an excellent go-to-market motion, sell to customers, have them be happy, long customers that retain for just many, many months. We have a saying inside Quill, like we don't care about month one revenue. We care about month 101 revenue. Like it's like SaaS is about like happy customers who stay with you for the long haul and hopefully grow and expand and, and I think, um, I think to some degree, you know, I think with all that sort of stuff, it is just noise to sort of try, you sort of try to tune it out to some degree. Um, that being said, on the go-to-market side, it's, it's very real. And so I think the, the, it depends a little bit on, on how your motion is structured. And I think like, obviously, if it's a very sales heavy motion, there's all sorts of books written about, you know, dealing with um, FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt and, and sort of how within sales teams, you might sort of think about positioning things here. 
I think in, in product led growth land, I think it's like, you know, one of the, and I'm sure, I'm sure you have this, one of the things you sort of often see in founders is a degree of uh, unending optimism uh, and sort of finding silver linings in every incredibly dark cloud. And I think that, you know, I think that there's, there are moments where you can do different things to really focus on scaling different parts of your growth. And I think that um, in an environment where there's like, there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, different, it depends on like, you know, again, what, mark, what part of the market you serve, et cetera, et cetera. But like, there's probably going to be a lot of pressure in the next little while, assuming the world does probably, probably trend towards a recession or at least some countries do. Um, there'll be like belt tightening in orgs. Right. And so like, how do you sort of position yourself around that? And there's a real opportunity if you're a bundled service to be like, hey, you can cut out three products where you can just use R1. Free can be incredibly powerful to be like, hey, look, we're just going to optimize for building up a million users of our product or 100,000 or whatever it is, the right sort of thing over this period of time. And we're going to monetize them. We kind of know we're not going to necessarily monetize everyone perfectly now, but we're going to monetize them sort of over the course of the next two years type thing. Um, and I think you sort of, as long as you're sort of aware of that and you're sort of trying to lean into whatever the, the feeling in the market du jour is, do you know what I mean? I think like that's the sort of, but even then, like even then you can get, have that be too distracting because at the end of the day, so much of it is just about like, do you have, do you have like a great product? Have you figured out who your ICP is? Have you figured out how to like position it to them? What channels are they in? What memes do they like for your meme-driven startup? Like, like you know, I mean, I think figuring out those sort of parts, like, do they enjoy coming to webinars with strange bearded Australians? Like, you know, you're experimenting to figure all this stuff out. And I think like, that's the sort of stuff that whether it's an amazing bull run or like the, the lows of the lows of a real sort of recession slash depression, et cetera, like all that stuff is, is still the same, right? And I think that's the, to try to not be too distracted by the noise is sort of the goal. That makes a ton of sense, uh, especially when we sort of think about, hey, do you just want a million or a hundred thousand users and so on? Those are questions a lot of teams and founders are essentially dealing with. Uh, and the question is that of, hey, do I focus on monetization in a market that's increasingly tough to sell in, or do I focus on engagement and NPS and happy customers? Uh, so especially in the world that we live in now, how do you think about that trade-off between monetization and engagement? Uh, is it a zero or one? Is the answer somewhere in between? I think the... Um... So I, I've been, my fingers have been burned by freemium a few different times. Like we, we freemium has worked very wonderfully for Quilla. We actually don't have a free tier at the moment. We're thinking really hard about having one come back online soon in, in some formal fashion, um, uh, kind of because of the dynamics that we're having here. But, but, but I suppose that the thing that I sort of, it sort of depends on it, like all these things depend on the context and what matters. I suppose like the one thing that I speak to some founders about is free. It, it can be easy to lie to yourself when you have free users about like how good they actually are. Like to be like, Oh, look, we have all these users and they give us an NPS of this. And like, if you then are like, cool now, pay me like a hundred dollars and so they're all like, no, <laughs> or $10 or a or thousand or whatever the, you know, right pricing is for your particular bit of software. Um, and I think that that's the real, that's the real gauge of like, 
you know, NPS and happy. Like, I'm just like, look, I love NPS, all these various things, blah, blah. But like the real gauge of like customer need slash satisfaction slash happiness, et cetera, is like how many are willing to pay you and pay you continually over a long period of time. And so I, I would say that um, sort of only having free can be a bit dangerous and not having a, a sort of, a, sort of a, a point at which you sort of, you really are sort of forcing people to make a decision. And I think that like, one of the great things about having a payment gateway like that is that you just, you hear no heaps, like just heaps and heaps and heaps and hearing no, um, you know, I, I, something we talked a bit about on email is like, sort of I have this obsession with founders being involved in sales early on. Like you have to hear your customers say no to you. <laughs> Like ideally thousands of times, like, as in like, it's just like, that's the, the ideal thing is to just hear that because you get to, as a founder, especially, this is true of anybody, but as a founder, especially you get to ask, like, can I ask why? Like what, what, cause you, you came and tried the product for some reason. It's, it's not quite right. Like what, what, why? And like being able to have a tight feedback loop between what you're hearing from the market and the customers and look, maybe some customers like aren't right for you and it's blah, blah, blah. And you, but again, like that's, that's really useful to understand for your go-to-market motion. And, and I think that, so I think that free can kind of, it can be a little hard to have that sort of awkward conversation uh, with free. If you only sort of have free on that side, but like, I mean, I say that like, you know, when, when Quilla was starting out, our office was in this like very dingy warehouse in um, like part of Sydney, sort of, you know, it's called Surrey Hills and like opposite us in a much less dingy warehouse, still a little bit dingy was, um, was the Canva team. And like Canva was free for ages and like it worked out pretty well for them. So like, it's definitely like, there definitely are things, but I do think if you're going down that path, you have to be like pretty brutal with yourself. It's like, are these actually like really good users, really good customers? Oh, sorry, not customers, but you know what I mean? Are they actually genuinely active, happy? Do we have a real path towards monetizing them? Because a lot of people have fallen over on a sort of like, by sort of telling yourself easy lies. That makes a ton of sense. As someone uh, who's been selling to customers and has had no said to him hundreds of thousands of times, I can totally understand it. It does bring you closer to your customer. Um, and you also learn who to not sell to. Um, it's not just about learning who, who needs your product. It's also about figuring out who's not ICP, right? Um, one of the interesting questions we had uh, from a lot of the audience before uh, uh, starting the webinar uh, was on founder-led sales. So let me use this opportunity to uh, love that question your way. Uh, a lot of companies are in that essential moment where you're moving from a million in ARR and onwards and you're trying to get to 10 or 20 or 100 million in ARR and it can't be founder-led anymore. Um, as someone who's made it through that journey, how do you sort of move from this founder-led sales mindset uh, to then handing this over to a team? How do you sort of make the sales pitches translate um, and, and so on? I mean, I think so, so the first thing is, so the first person we hired to do, to do sales with me, um, like they, they like, they sat like here, like, like right next to me. And for the first while, like you're just having them shadow every call that you do. Cause there's all these sort of things that you've been doing in founder-led sales, which like you haven't written down a proper process for, and you haven't like, you know, scoped out, like, here's how you do this or here's how you do that. And I think the, so I think like, you know, early on, you just sort of are doing that classic thing of just like shadow me, let's, let's go together. Then you flip it around and you have them lead it. And, and they sort of, they sort of take it on and, and that you start following them and giving them feedback and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would say that that, that path, like getting you from, you know, that early sort of sales hire, you kind of tend to want someone who is like, 
it's okay for them to be relatively junior and and just you want someone who's just super hungry and very ambitious ideally with like a little bit of sales background behind them but like you don't have to hire someone from salesforce or like someone who's like perfectly trained etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i think or you know definitely one with a decade of experience i think you just want to have someone who's going to go out there work really hard figure it out and, and who's sort of just like eager and keen and, and involved and just like very very driven um you know i think after that sort of point you you know, like I ran the team up till like relatively recently and sort of, you know, up to about, you know, at least a dozen folks on the team between AEs and SDRs. And like, I think as you sort of go through here, that's sort of, you know, that's teams sort of all around the world. And I think, but as you go through there, you get to sort of like, A, you can instill, this is how we sell. This is what we care about. This is how we sort of view, you know, X, Y, and Z. You also staying close to the sales team means that you get to like, Again, even though if you're not on the call yourself, you still have like a pretty good tight feedback loop. Um, but I would say that the, the wonderful thing about sales is, especially if the founder has been doing it for a while, you, you kind of know what's to be expected. And it's an incredibly easy discipline to like manage um, in terms of like, I'm going to help. I'm going to be onboarding with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be like shadowing you. I'm going to be working really close with you for like the first, whatever, you know, 60 to 90 days. Um, and then I'm kind of going to let you sort of be because like, this is a startup and I can't just hang around forever. And like, but with sales, you know, it's like, well, here's your monthly number. Like, have you hit it? And I think like, it's very, that's, there are some parts of startup life that are quite hard to like a little bit less can be a bit more challenging to sort of measure certain things of like how hard is this person working? Like it's pretty clear with sales and with, and with things like support and whatever else. And so I think like kind of trusting that, that that will happen. And again, you can do little tricks like hiring two people at the same time so that they sort of are collaborative, but also a little bit competitive and sort of, you know, I think like sort of work against it, you know, work sort of push each other along and that sort of side of things. And if one of them, doesn't work out that's fine at least you've still got one that, that is sort of working out and i think i think that's sort of there are sort of a, a bunch of things you can do as you sort of scale up and then once you're ready for it like I, i'm a big believer in like you, you know you might there might be someone internally who's ready for that step but, but I, when we did it we went and like spent like an absurd amount of money at like one of the good sales recruiting firms in the US and just like went and hired someone absolutely fantastic. And so we're thrilled with our VP sales. Um, but like, you know, I, I think that, that to be honest, I'm a big believer in, in like in the founder doing that. And, and if it is someone like me, like who I, I love sales, I love customers, I, I'm sort of very customer focused, et cetera. Like if, you, if you're happy doing that, then I think like doing it, doing it for a reasonable amount of time is like, is totally fine and, and often can be great. I, I probably did it too long and it became a bit of a distraction. I was also a bit crap at it by the end, but you know, you can't get everything right. That's great, Mark. Uh, Mark, you spoke a little bit about Canva there and uh, uh, speaking of Canva and a lot of PLG tools in the market today, Zooms, what have you, uh, all of them actively focus on this key metric, time to value. Uh, yep. How much time before you take uh, the user to an activation moment to an aha moment, right? Uh, so as I was doing my research on Quilla, I signed up for Quilla and noticed the Quilla takes me to value in under one minute. It lands, like ask for my role, ask for my company, gives me a custom built proposal to start with. That's what I start. I don't even start with a dashboard, start with proposal, right? 
So my aha moment is delivered to me in under one minute. I'm just curious, is that something you've worked on over time and have tried to perfect over time? Have you gone through many iterations of this before you landed on the current system? So this is like a little bit of the, the founder's curse. I, I hate our onboarding. I'm like, oh, this could be so much better. Why don't we do this? All this sort of stuff. But like, anyway, whatever. But I think like, look, we did spend a lot of time on that. We did sort of think a lot about it. We did a lot of testing and iteration. We actually have a team right now. One of our product teams is working on, on activation um, and I think, and sort of doing some interesting work there. And I think one of the things that we've sort of found as we've gone along is like, and I'd say like one of the things that we're working on right now, which is, has been a super, super interesting lens that's kind of changed my thinking about how we approach this. Is like when people come to Quilla, there's a bunch of different jobs that they're looking to do. And I think this is slightly a curse of us. Like we've got a relatively, much as we're like, we're very focused as a company on sales teams. We've got a pretty horizontal product. Like you can use Quilla kind of for whatever. Um, but then when we, we sort of have people come to Quilla now, we now as part of the signup flow, ask them like, what are you, what are you looking to solve? Like, are you looking for like document automation? Are you looking for an all-in-one tool? So you get like, um, you know, document, you know, e-sign payment, you know, all that sort of stuff in one. Are you looking for just building incredibly beautiful, compelling proposals? Are you looking for like analytics to sort of better understand your sales cycle? Blah, blah. And you can choose like more than one of these, but we now rank each of those things against their activation rate, against their week two active rate and against their conversion rate. And it is like wild how much like you see these different volumes coming in and then like have different levels of activation here. And like, so the thing that we're sort of known for is like for creating like really like we care a lot about design at Quilla. When you use Quilla, you can create really beautiful, compelling documents that are also web pages, right? So like your prospect gets this, it's like a web page. It has like, you know, you can have animations. This looks incredibly impressive compared to what's normal. And so like people often get, and also that because every Quilla page is, you know, the default URL stream is like, you know, topline.quilla.com. So it's a subdomain of our main brand. And so like, because of that, we have quite a nice viral loop going on there, which we can chat about if you want, but like about 20% of signups each month and about 20% of revenue each month comes from that viral, that viral um, sort of loop on that side, which again is driven by compelling content. So compelling content is like the highest one here. It's also the highest activation rate. It's also the highest conversion rate. Like I sort of a very nice one here. And other things we were like, oh yeah, we're really like good at that. Like aren't there at all. And so again, we're now thinking like, if you come in and you really care about like analytics, maybe we should drop you in the dashboard first. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and if you really care about sort of like um, document automation, maybe we should drop you into like, I don't know, like the Salesforce or HubSpot CRM sort of set up part of the panel and sort of, you know, some sort of talk to you about that or, or we start you on a drip campaign that talks to that or whatever it is. But it's been like, you know, I think like, and this is that classic thing of PLG, it never ends. Like you think you're like, oh, we've done all this work and it's gotten better. And you're like, actually there's 75 more layers here. And then like, we don't even know. There's probably, there's, it, just, it just sort of keeps going and going and going. And so I would say like, where we still feel um, very early in our understanding on all that. That being said, yes, there was a lot of time back in the day building out lots of templates and trying to optimize it and sort of figure things out. And we did, they saw a huge uplift from that. Um, and so anything you can do around time to value, I think is valuable. Um, but even then, I think like in time, you start to realize like, and, and that's just like one flavor from us, but like every product has its own flavor of that, of like actually 
you know, here are, you know, here are the jobs people are looking for and how can we even better align to that and, you know, on and on and on. That's, that's amazing. And speaking of variety loops, uh, that's something that every PLG company is sort of actively on the hunt for, right? including ourselves, uh, which is how do you take largely an enterprise offering or something B2B, uh, but sort of infuse it with uh, B2C variety. Um, when you spoke about sort of, hey, if Topline was to use Quiller, it would be topline.quiller.com and so on. How did you guys come up with this virality loop? How much of it was happenstance and serendipity versus how much of it was sort of intentional? So look, first of all, Part of it was dumb luck. We just like, when we started out, we were like, ah, oh, we'll just make these, like we'll make these, you know, default to like the, I think it was like pages.quilla.com was the first version. And then we like allowed people to brand it with their own name and things like that over time. Um, and look, you can pay us lots of money and have a custom subdomain and whatever else. But, um, but I think we were very lucky to have a couple of things. One, we had, um, we had like one of our early investors was, was a, a, a VC out of Europe called, Point nine, who were like just unbelievably great SaaS investors. Christoph Jantz over there is like, the founder there is like fantastic. You should read all this stuff. Um, but through that, they, we were talking about our virality and our viral loops and they were like, oh, this sounds like what Typeform has been going through. You should, you should chat to Typeform. And so we're like, okay, if it's another one of their portfolio companies. Long story short, Robert from Typeform is like an investor in Quiller and sort of, he sort of has, you know, offers a lot of advice. Like Pedro, who led their growth team that time, came on and like literally like just like shared spreadsheets of like oh here's here's how we track our viral growth here's like like a whole bunch of like you know confidential internal like numbers that they sort of had on that sort of side and like but they were just like very transparent and helped us like figure out our k factor benchmark against them in terms of like different parts of the loop and we're talking about an external virality loop obviously internal loops about how you might drive adoption inside a customer base and like sort of inside a company is like, that's like also very important. I think a thing that we don't do well enough now and we're investing a bunch of resources in at the moment to sort of improve upon. Um, but that sort of side there, I think like that, you know, having other, other founders who you can reach out to and chat to or other growth teams and sort of figure out sort of things on that side. And I think like, look, figuring out a K factor isn't like that hard, but then figuring out how to juice it is, um, and I do think that, you know, it sort of, it does allow you to sort of think through um, strategically where you can invest more time, effort and energy and how you sort of might sort of get, get better on that sort of side. To be honest, like we actually have like, you know, since we turned off free, we haven't seen the viral piece be supercharged as much as it once was for Quilla, um, which is part of the reason why we're sort of looking to come back to that at some stage. Um, but, you know, frankly, you know, like, having something on that sort of side and being able to understand it, I think like deeply and building in things that sort of do are shareable on that side and are sort of engageable. And I do lead back is like very important. One thing I would say, this is a very small thing, but like for both Typeform and for Quilla, um, all of the little branding bits that you have on your website, like, you know, there's a little button that says made with Quilla or create your own with Quilla. Like, that stuff, like it's amazing how much that doesn't matter. Um, that matters for people paying you money to remove that because they don't want it. Like it's great for like converting someone from free to paid because they're like, I don't want this like ugly, you know, made with Wix on my thing or whatever. Um, but like, it doesn't, no one clicks on that. Like, it's like, if you look at our virality, we were tracking it via like who clicked on that button. The clicks on the button were maybe 2% of like viral, viral visits. I mean, once we sort of figured that out and got to understanding how to sort of measure and track that, that was like a, a huge moment for us and really unlocked a lot of growth. 
Got it. I think Mark, maybe one more question before we uh, jump to the audience. Uh, for the sake of early stage founders and builders in the audience shooting to build great products in 2022, what would you say is the one mistake you've seen PLG companies make? So there was actually a tweet recently. This is a bit of a random one. I just, it's a tweet that I retweeted today. So if you find me on Twitter, Mark E. Tanner is my thing. But um, uh, it was it was this founder that I follow, Matt Wensing, who has this like interesting product um, that he's working on, but I'm blanking on right now. Sorry, Matt. But anyway, he's working on this like very cool product. Um, but he had this like this sort of little thread about um, there, are, there, are, there are like early on, there are products that are, inventions that you've someone someone and and my co-founder dylan is an inventor like he invented this product quilla and it's this amazing sort of thing and there's there's other startups where it's like it's he he called it services which i think kind of is a little funny but it's like sometimes you're in an area and you really understand a customer base and their problem and you're trying to build something for that and a lot of startup advice is either for services people or for inventions people. And if you don't know which one you are and what type of advice it is, it can be very confusing because really on the invention side, we'd invented a new way of creating documents. And like, oh, like, ah, like, we used to have this tagline of like documents for the web. What does that mean? Nothing, completely bland and meaningless and broad. And like, sort of like, who is that targeted at? Like, why would anyone look to buy that? So anyway, it like took us a long time sort of iterating and testing to figure out like actually sales teams is like, that is like find out it's our customer and, and focus on the customer. And once you're focusing on the customer in that sort of zone, it's very, very powerful. Whereas services sort of businesses already have like some degree of like, we know who we are. We know what we're trying to build for. We know who we're going for. And actually what they're looking for is like, how do we then build out a product for that exact subset to like how to make that as great as possible such that the market sort of sort of goes on that sort of side. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like two ways of sort of being inventive. And I sort of, I think that when I, I feel like I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but when I sort of saw that sort of thing of like people who come with a deep insight about a technology versus people who come with a deep insight about like a market, um, they're actually very different journeys. And I do think that founders who read advice sort of talk about focus on the customer when like in the early days you kind of, You've got, you kind of don't really know who it is or vice versa, you know exactly who it is. And they're sort of talking about more sort of like things on the other side of the, of the coin. I think that can sort of be a sort of a distraction. I suppose to the PLG part just generally is like, um, I would just say my, I would just say that the biggest, the biggest thing is like, there's a lot of buzzwords in PLG. There's a lot of talk about like, I don't know, free or this or that or whatever. And I think like at the end of the day, the, not everything that every other company does is it's going to work for you. And I just think you have to just be very thoughtful, but also agnostic about how you approach everything here. Um, and not, you know, much as it's very easy to benchmark yourself against everybody else and be like, Oh, why is it my conversion rate this or my K factor that or whatever else. I think that, I think that you just sort of need to just like, I think keep, keep just working like this, being honest and being brutal with yourself about like asking yourself those tough questions, which again, I think very much in the land of the free, it's very easy to not ask yourself the tough questions about like, would anyone actually pay money for this? Like, is this actually providing real value and all that sort of stuff? Um, and so I'd say like that, that'd be the one part that I would, I would sort of want people to, cause those hard questions or hearing those no's or whatever it is, that's actually all that stuff that causes pain. Uh, 
Jerry Seinfeld has a line, which is like, pain is knowledge entering the body very quickly. Uh, and I think, I think that's, you need that. Like, and so I think avoiding those sort of hard, hard things is, um, is the one thing I would encourage you not to do. Love the Seinfeld quote. Um, great answer to Mark. Uh, we have five minutes left on the call. Uh, we'll open the floor up to questions from the audience. Feel free to ask Mark any, any, your question. Go ahead. Hi, hi, Mark. This is Davyani. Um, Thanks so much for you know joining this. Wanted to ask you. You mentioned you really love selling as a founder. So, what are your top tips for founder-led sales? And you know, really convincing the user at the early stage that oh, I really need this product. This is a killer product. I think like, honestly, a big part of it is just being there. Like if the founder like actually turns up to the call and you're like, hello, I am the founder. Let me walk you through like the product. Let me talk you through here. Oh, that's a really good idea. Do you know what? I'm going to get the team to build that um, for you. Now, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to do anything stupid where you're just building something just for one customer. But like, I think like early on, just being there, bringing that good founder energy and vibes and just doing it again and again and again. I would sort of say that like, that's like a bit, what's that line? Like showing up is half the battle. Like I think most, like a lot of founders like don't. And I would say like sort of going on that sort of side. The other part of it is like, um, if it's something that you want to get great at, which you don't have to, not every, like, there, like there's lots of PLG companies that don't really require sales. Um, I still think even with PLG though, you still want to get out there and talk to a lot of customers early, but like, if you do want to get great at it, like any other craft, you can become great at, at sales. Like, and there are a bunch of books out there. There are a bunch of courses. There are like all that sort of stuff like that. But I mean, I, I've just, I just read like, I think I've now read like 10 sales books. Um, you know, you just can like take it seriously and sort of just work to get, to get, to build and get better at your craft over time. Um, and I think another part of it is just, but again, it's just about doing the reps. And I think a lot of founders out there, it's not true for some types, but there are a lot of technical founders out of there who sort of think of sales as being gross and like used car salesmen and whatever else and blah, blah, blah. And I think actually in Australia is a huge problem because Atlassian and Canva both spoke very publicly for a very long time about like, we don't have any salespeople, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, like, I don't know, like that, that's, that's cool. That's awesome for them. I mean, both of them now have large sales teams, but like it's, you know, I think it's, I think sort of you do sometimes need to encourage people because at the end of the day, that sort of early founder sales is, it's actually just as much about whether you're trying to like convince them to buy from, from you, it's actually as much about like you just like learning from them. And because you're the founder, they'll give you more feedback than they would just some generic sales rep, I suppose is another way of framing it. That's amazing, Mark. Uh, we have another question from Sean. Uh, he says, uh, when you really start investing in product-led growth, is it when you see uh, early signs of PMF or is it even prior to that? Uh, the context is that uh, uh, Sean and company are trying to move to a product-led motion, but it seems to be taking longer than they'd like and it's slowing things down in terms of uh, immediate revenue and dollars, right? That's a, that's a, like, that's a, it's a great and tough question. The annoying answer is that it really depends um, on depends on your business. It depends on whether it really should have a, a product led growth motion or, or a sales led motion or, or marketing led motion or some other sort of thing. Um, I think that if you feel though, as a founder, like a degree of confidence and clarity that like, there's something like this should have like, like our product. And like, I was like, what, what does product led growth mean? Right. It's, it means that 
you have a oh gosh it means many different things i should actually ask you guys what you think how you define plg but like i think that like it sort of means that to some degree i think it's hard to have true plg if you don't have self-serve right obviously and so there's some degree there's a whole bunch of work you can do around optimizing self-serve but i think importantly it's like i am a big believer that it it needs to have some version of driving of driving loops of driving like by this person using it we're going to get other users using it and so whether that's internal inside the company and so it's sort of marketing's job to go and get new people to start it but once they get up and running they then sort of spread it internally or it's an external one and then it's maybe you know marketing and or sales's job to try to expand it inside the company or you ideally have both where you sort of doing you know an external uh sort of loop as well as an internal loop um as well as like other loops of like habit forming loops such that that original person keeps coming back and back and back i think like all of those sort of things you've got to feel confident that's sort of really there because it's what you're trying to do is to build a scalable engine that doesn't require headcount to grow and i think that investing in that as a founder if you really believe you can make it work it, it, it is a, it's a um, it's a fucking j curve i'm sorry to say like it is like it just like it takes time to get going and you see these little inflection points and you just have to believe in the power of compounding right that at every point if you can move this part of the needle from being a four percent conversion rate to being a six and a half percent and then like another part moves from being ten percent to being thirteen percent like those things in a funnel compound and it's not like one plus one is two. It's like, you know, like, you know, 110% plus 110% is like, you know, 121%, I think. It's like a 10% improvement and 10% improvement at least like a 21% net improvement. And I think like that sort of stuff that, you know, I think if you, it does, if you really believe it, I think it, it does matter. Like I don't, unfortunately, you know, I think, I think, I think like, I think we should maybe, maybe Rushin, you should, uh, you should jump in here and sort of share your side of the story here. I think uh, uh, Mark's uh, spot on one, uh, not all businesses need to be product-led. Uh, product-led growth um, primarily uh, works for businesses with a very large top of funnel uh, where you have to go hunting amongst a, a massive ocean where you don't know that, hey, I don't know who my customer is. I don't know how to get to them efficiently. And product-led growth is essentially an efficient way of acquiring top of funnel. Um, where if you had to sort of do marketing and so on, it would be extremely expensive where the LTV CACs don't make sense anymore. Um, uh, at least what we have learned from researching a bunch of product-led companies is there's no clean answer to this. Uh, it's something that most companies, one, figure out through serendipity over a period of time through a lot of experimentation. Um, and it's a funnel that compounds over a period of time. So it's not that, hey, I'm not product-led today and uh, suddenly I'm product-led tomorrow. Uh, that's not usually the case. So that would be my short two cents. But uh, I think we've run over time. So I want to be respectful for, uh, of Mark and everyone's time here. Mark, one last question to you. How can any of us on the call, including the folks at Topline and others attending, be helpful to you before we wrap up? Tell all your friends, tell all your sales teams, come to quilla.com, check it out. I think other than that, to be honest, I mean, I think like look, I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn, et cetera. And my, my username on everything is just Mark E. Tanner. I will put it in the chat if anyone wants to follow there. And if you've got more questions, if you come along on LinkedIn or on Twitter or whatever else, feel free to ping it to me. And I'm, I'm sort of, as you can tell, I'm a chatty human being. I'm, I'm always happy to sort of have a chat. Um, let me just say like... Uh, I'm very honored to be the first person in this series. I wish you much luck and success with this series. I really enjoyed 
that piece you guys wrote about Quilla recently, that was lovely. And, um, and I just wish you all the very best, mate, being a founder and like working and for you guys who are working at like, it's, you know, it's a roller coaster. There are good days and bad days, uh, but I wish you all the very best and much luck uh, in your journey. And same to everybody else on the call. Awesome. And thanks, Mark, for taking out the time. I think we had a great time writing and learning about Quilla, learned a bunch ourselves, which, of which we're using a lot uh, in building our own business. And it's a fun roller coaster. That's about all I can say. It's been really fun and couldn't have a better time working with the folks I work with.